3: And apologies to any French speakers listening.
2: <laughs> Sam is going to Quebec, so he's practicing.
3: Just
0: practicing. Bienvenue. Uh, happy Friday. What's that? V- vendredi? Bon vendredi.
2: Je ne parle pas français.
0: <laughs> and that's the correct answer to everything. Um, <laughs> welcome back to another Statehouse Takeout. We've got the full cast and crew this week. We've got Chris Lasinski, Colin A. Young, Katie Lennon, and Matt Murphy. Hi, folks.
2: Howdy. What's up, Sam?
0: Not much. We uh, we are fortunate this week to, uh, among our number, have three former Lowell Sun reporters because uh, we've got big news out of the Lowell delegation this week. Um, and, and this really kicked off our four-day week on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Uh, Katie, you uh, broke the story for us first about um, Representative David Nangle of Lowell, who... Uh, was indicted on a number of charges, filing false tax returns, more than $70,000 in campaign funds, blown on personal expenses like golf club dues and paying for rental cars to zip down to some casinos, uh... Wire fraud and bank charges as he pulled loans out of a bank to cover his debts from those casino trips and his online gambling habits and uh, uh, since you detailed a lot of these for us uh, early Tuesday morning, could you just run us through uh, some of these charges just how how tough um, how tough is the fight ahead of him since he pleaded not guilty to these
3: i mean i, I guess we'll we 'll see what happens as the court case progresses. These are often lengthy. Processes, federal trials, um, but you know Representative Nangle through his lawyer has said he's going to fight these charges, and there's some some hefty uh, federal prison time associated with these. He's you know more than two dozen charges against him: ten counts of wire fraud, four f- counts of bank fraud, nine counts of making false statements to a bank, and five counts of filing false tax returns. Um, some of these have. Maximum sentences of twenty years in prison or more some some hefty fines as well, it looks like this is a this is a pretty serious matter, and it was you know kind of a, a surprise I think to a lot of people when the the u s attorney's office and the FBI tweeted out the news of his early morning arrest Tuesday. You know there were a few people who seemed to be aware that he was under an investigation, but it seems like a lot of people were kind of taken by surprise at the extent of the the money involved, the gambling debt, and the like. Um, I will give a a plug to the Lowell Sun um, for really being on top of the ball in this. They were asking nangle in early january i think if he was under investigation what was going on something you know at the time he said he didn't know anything about but they were watching his legal fees uh, in ocpf filings
0: right um yeah chris there there had been some rumblings about this and uh the law firm that the Lowell son noticed pop up in those ocpf filings was a, a white collar uh crime law firm
2: It seemed as though Nangle was not only paying uh, legal fees and paying this law firm as this investigation was underway, but the Speaker in his statement, which didn't say a whole lot, but did uh, acknowledge that the House had received subpoenas from the U.S. Attorney's Office that DeLeo says the House did cooperate with. These were requests for documents and other materials. We're not sure exactly what those were, but the Speaker seemed to indicate that uh, they were cooperating with some type of investigation, but they may not have known who or what the target was at the time.
3: And we heard, too, on the from from the prosecutors that, you know, they did get cooperation from the, the state officials here, from the legislature, um, to the degree that they were involved. And
0: did OCPF uh, collaborate with them on this also?
3: Um, we know that the FBI began investigating Nangle a couple years ago, but... Um, based on the referral from another agency, but they, uh, they haven't said, per se, what, that, what agency that was, who else might have been looking with what. Um, you know, Andrew Lelling, the U.S. attorney, says that it, it really is the f- kind of the federal prosecutor's role to go after offenses like these, these public corruption cases because it's, uh, it's easier and less awkward for, for federal authorities to do it than it is for state level.
0: Yeah, and it, it is interesting that it's Andrew Lelling, it's the U.S. attorney for, uh, for this district that um, uh, went after Nangle, and, and we've seen his office um, uh, issuing indictments on other state-level folks, right? Um, we were trying to brainstorm this week in the newsroom. Uh, who, who else was there uh, recently, folks? We had uh, Dana Pullman from the State Police Union.
3: The Fall River mayor, of course, I know that's not, former Fall River mayor, that is, Jaziel Correa, that's, that's not state level, but it's certainly a, a, an elected official in Massachusetts.
0: Yeah, and, and Lelling was asked uh, during that press conference about, about the federal authorities going after these state level folks, and what was his rationale uh, for why, why we aren't seeing state level investigators uh, doing more of this?
3: Well, like I said, he um, he thinks that it's less awkward for federal authorities to do it. They have you know, they're not linked into the the state power players the same way. They're they're not. He, his word was beholden to anyone in the same way. And they also you know, they have more prosecutors. They have more resources. It, it's they have a bigger operation.
1: Colin. And just to jump off of what Katie was saying, uh, they also are the office that prosecutes federal crimes. Uh, The state attorney general isn't going to prosecute federal crimes like
0: something with the the IRS, for example.
1: Right. And uh, from looking over the indictment uh, on Representative Nangle, it appeared that at least some of these charges, I think they were the wire fraud charges, if I'm remembering correctly, had uh, a lot to do with the fact that the bank, his. political committee was using was based in Rhode Island. So every transaction resulted in a interstate uh, uh, wire transaction uh, because he was using a Rhode Island bank. So that's an example of a federal crime where the federal uh, agency would have to be the one to prosecute that.
0: And Lelling made some comment at the press conference that was... Sort of unprovoked by any question from a reporter about continuing to look into these sorts of things with uh, local politicians
3: um, yeah I mean he didn't he didn't specify local level, but he he kind of asked and answered his own question whether or not the office the u s attorney's office would continue to uh, pursue public corruption cases and, and go after instances where that it, type of corruption is alleged, and and his answer to that was an unequivocal yes, he said.
2: Matt, how did Nangle vote on
0: casino gaming when it came up in the House?
2: My recollection is that uh, Dave Nangle was certainly someone that was for the expansion of casino gaming. He was with the Speaker on that, and that was a big priority for Speaker DeLeo at the time, and a lot of members of the House, particularly those. I'm not sure if uh, Nangle was fully uh, brought into leadership at that point. If you remember back, he was actually uh, a supporter of Dave Rogers in the 2008. 2008- John
0: Rogers. Uh,
2: excuse me, John <laughs> Rogers, uh, back in the 2008-2009 leadership fight between Rogers and DeLeo. And he, like some other uh, Lowell representatives, including Tom Golden, were able to climb out of the basement uh, and get back in the speakers' good graces and, and do quite well for themselves. Golden, chair of a, a big committee, the Energy and Telecom Committee, and Nangle, of course. Uh, climbed up to become one of the four division leaders in the House, a position that he wound up resigning this week along with his committee assignments uh, and thereby forfeiting a new $30,000 stipend.
0: Which saved the Speaker from having to make the decision whether or not to remove him from those positions.
2: Yeah, we don't really know if the Speaker asked Nangle to resign or if Nangle called the Speaker and said that he was going to do it voluntarily. All we saw was The letter that Nangle submitted to the clerk the day after uh, his indictment and arraignment and the speaker was uh, pretty much unavailable all week, uh, except for the statement that he issued uh, expressing his surprise and concern and dismay by the charges brought against Nangle. But where this goes from here, I, I think we're still waiting to see in the House. Uh, does the ethics committee that Nangle sat on and and stepped down from this week? Do they get involved before uh, a trial and conviction? Do they wait? Uh, does Nangle keep his seat? Does he run for reelection? These are all questions that we're still asking and, and and trying to answer.
3: And questions that that may end up at least some of them being kind of tricky to answer. The ethics commission or the House ethics committee does have some some confidentiality language written into their rules. Right. So, um. uh it, it might be hard to pin down what, what exactly happens next, but we're, uh, we're certainly going to try.
4: At, at least for a little bit of context, I think that the last time a member was removed from the House, uh, Carlos Enriquez, if I'm recalling correctly and reading our archives correctly, the House ethics investigation didn't even begin until he was convicted in court on
2: some domestic violence charges.
0: And that's uh, an investigation in which Dave Nangle played a role, right? Was he vice chairman of ethics at the time?
2: He, he was. Uh, I believe uh, Marty Walsh uh, had been the chair of that committee before he moved on to City Hall here in Boston. And uh, Nangle was never quite elevated at the time, but he did lead uh, those proceedings. And, you know, when we talked to uh, Rep. Russell Holmes this week about the charges Nangle was facing, he said it was sort of embarrassing for the House to have a former ethics committee chair or vice chair, uh, have his own ethics kind of called into question in this very public, uh, legal way.
0: And Carlos Enriquez himself uh, had something to say about this on Facebook, right?
4: Yeah, he, he basically pointed out the, the irony here that the representative who oversaw the, his, the ethics investigation that Enriquez faced is now facing his own likely ethics investigation if he does remain in the House.
0: Yeah, and he also brought Garrett Bradley into it too, I think, who also was on ethics at the time. Uh, so who stands by him? Uh, who uh, who stands by uh, Rep Nangle now? Uh, we heard some nice comments from John Rogers. You mentioned that uh, well, N- yeah, Nangle had supported mean, John Rogers.
2: <laughs> Rogers, for one, I think verbatim. Rogers told me I love Dave Nangle and he wished uh, Nangle and his family well. I-, I think you heard a lot of empathy this week from members, particularly because some of the stuff in the indictment, at least suggests that it stemmed from a gambling problem. And I think people are uh, reluctant to really go after Nangle because of that. Uh, Certainly, uh, no one thinks he should have stayed in leadership. They think he did the right thing by stepping down. But his colleagues uh, seem to be wanting to uh, let this play out in the courts and stay as far away from it as possible. But even Republicans didn't seem real quick to to turn this or politicize this and go after Democrats. They kind of saw this as the the transgressions of a man who uh, perhaps was uh, struggling with a a gambling problem and, and found himself in debt and no way out. Uh, Colin. Yeah. In fact, I don't
1: think we heard anyone this week, right? Say that, that Rep Nangle should uh, anyone in an elected position here at the state house say that, that Rep Nangle should resign from the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, like Matt said, we heard a lot of empathy for him. It's a good point. Um, and a lot of people, uh, Sort of, you know, sort of nodded in agreement when he stepped down from his leadership and committee posts. But I can't think of anyone who's said that that Dave Nangle should you know, leave the House of Representatives altogether.
0: Hmm. Colin, does this does this provide some fodder for folks who had opposed casino gaming in Massachusetts on the grounds of it it feeds gambling addiction and and, and that sort of stuff?
1: Um, I don't think so. It's it's a high profile. You know, it's a a case that's in the news, but I mean, it's just one person and there are thousands of people across the state who, uh, I would think have issues gambling. Um, this just brings it back into the headlines, but, you know, I haven't heard anyone either like criticizing the casinos this week saying, oh, well, we never should have legalized casino gambling because look what happened to Dave Nangle, um, I, I think it brings that issue back into the headlines, but I don't think it necessarily.
0: No one's really been seizing on that. No, yeah,
3: it's um, it's excuse me, it's worth noting too that he wasn't just going to casinos in Massachusetts. Um, the the indictment says that he was going to casinos in New Hampshire and Rhode Island, out of state, Connecticut, Connecticut, I yeah. Um. So I, I think if you are going to hear a, an opposition, it's going to be kind of a, a generalized opposition to casino gambling with the idea that it is, you know, there is a danger for people with gambling addiction. Um, and of course, people who have that stance are also opposed to there being casinos in Massachusetts, generally speaking.
1: And there's the online gambling element. Here Which he as was well. also doing. Right, right, exactly. So that's um, sort of a, a different piece where uh, Katie, am I re- uh, the U.S. attorney said that all of the online gambling was legal online. Gambling.
3: Yeah, I asked him about that specifically because I was curious. um, Because we, you know, there's not online sports betting, for example, that you can do legally here in Massachusetts. And he said he believed these were, you know, all established legal websites. um, You know, but he also couldn't say what type of gambling the that Repnangle was doing or preferred. So, I mean, more details about that might come out as it goes on. But it's it's an interesting storyline.
1: I'm sort of curious if we're going to hear more about that, if and when the state house here starts the debate on uh, sports betting and gaming more broadly there's been some talk of maybe doing some uh online gaming piece along with sports betting if uh
0: this spring right
1: well that's the talk right in in, yeah. in possibly doing sports betting uh mobile sports betting so maybe also looking at other forms of online gaming just to give you a little bit of context there is now uh legally you can um You can bet on horse races online through what's called advanced deposit wagering, uh, which is slightly different than uh, other forms of online gaming. But but there are these legal options out there.
0: Well, enough of what Rep Nangle termed the recent unfortunate events uh, in his in his letter resigning his leadership posts. Moving on from recent unfortunate events, uh, let's talk about the big debate. Um, and and no, not the one where the Massachusetts senator beat up on that other guy from Massachusetts. Uh, not Wednesday night, uh, but back it up to Tuesday. Uh, Matt, uh, we were over at WGBH studios. Uh, in Brighton for the Markey-Kennedy debate. Um, and some, um, some Democrats, uh, including Markey surrogate uh, Suffolk County DA Rachel Rollins, uh, seem to resent the diversion of resources and attention to this primary away from that national stage that we saw the action on on Wednesday night.
2: Yeah, I think one of the big questions going into the debate Tuesday night, this being the first ...major televised debate between these two candidates was whether or not Joe Kennedy could clearly articulate a reason for why voters should ditch Ed Markey, not give him a second full term in the Senate... And turn to Kennedy and vote for Kennedy instead and I think you heard some of it I think you heard Kennedy put a little meat on the bones of his argument for why he would be better equipped to represent Massachusetts uh, in the Senate than Markey but you're right after the debate Rollins as a surrogate for Markey was there uh, put forward by the campaign talking to reporters and uh, really saying that she was disappointed and not in Kennedy because she said she liked Joe Kennedy and thinks he's a good congressman but just in the fact that Democrats had to be there uh, watching this unfold. She thought that a Democratic primary between two well-liked politicians in Massachusetts was unnecessary at a time when money and and energy and resources should be going into uh, defeating Donald Trump. Uh, flipping the Senate uh, to democratic control and doing things like that uh, to advance the party's agenda uh, rather than this uh, sort of inter-party squabbling.
0: Uh, You mentioned what Kennedy had to do uh, going into this debate, and we we can talk about whether he achieved that, but what did Markey need to do?
2: Yeah, well, I think Markey needed to make the case for what he's done and why he deserves a second term, and I think that's why you heard him just really harping on his, or maybe I shouldn't use the word harping, I mean really just explaining his record. He talked a lot about the bills he's filed, the bills he's passed, uh, the successes he's had on Alzheimer's research, on on increasing uh, cafe fuel standards for automobiles. Uh, he tied and,
0: himself to Andrea um, Ocasio-Cortez as well. Well,
2: and of course, that's his big talking Alexander, point, tying him Alexander, to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria. with whom he co-sponsored the Green New Deal, the big... Uh, ambitious climate change uh, proposal in Congress. And this is really his entree to that uh, argument and to a younger generation of voters and his his rebuttal to the idea that it's time for a generational change. As a septuagenarian who's uh, been in Congress for decades, uh, Markey is, is trying to say that he, and actually repeatedly said that AOC called me the generational change that we need when it comes to issues like climate change, and uh, interestingly, it might be working. The new UMass Lowell poll that came out earlier today showed that Markey's actually doing better with younger voters and that demographic of progressives liberals and younger uh, liberals than uh, the younger Kennedy is.
0: while Kennedy's doing better with the older folks. Um, which is sort of a reversal right of kennedy 's the younger guy, marky 's the older guy, but we were saying up in the newsroom that uh maybe the Kennedy name still has that cachet with older voters
2: yeah that that could be a certain nostalgia there for the kennedy family Kennedy if you had to if you had to categorize it or label it probably the more moderate of the two, though i 'm not sure you know you 'd call. Kennedy a moderate or conservative Democrat by any stretch of the imagination but uh, you know certainly on some issues he might be towards the center uh, from Markey.
0: So did Kennedy distinguish himself and if so how so? I mean I I saw a good column online from uh, uh, Charlie Pierce uh, who said that uh, he thought it was um, sort of a Roger Mudd moment and uh, hearkening back to the Ted Kennedy Roger Mudd interview where Kennedy couldn't really articulate quite why he was running for president.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you saw Kennedy draw some clear lines of distinction. He went after the senator on his vote on the Iraq war in 2002. Uh, he criticized a vote he took 10 years later in 2013 when Markey voted present in committee on a on a resolution to authorize military force in Syria, uh, criticizing uh, you know, the senator for not taking a position one way or another on that. But uh, the broader argument that Kennedy's trying to make that uh, Massachusetts is a safe seat for Democrats and that it could be used for so much more nationally to bring uh, clout both to Massachusetts and to Democratic causes, to uh, fundraise, to campaign for other Democrats, to help flip the Senate, uh, you know, it probably needs some refining. I think he started getting there, but I think, you know, we're probably going to need to see or... Uh, we'll start to see him sharpen that message as we move forward.
0: Yeah, the the moment was the word he kept coming back to, right? This is this special moment. Um, but for two candidates with so many similarities, um, the a couple of a couple of sort of old ghosts came back to haunt Markey, right? Whether it be the present vote on intervention in Syria and uh, his vote on the Iraq War as well.
2: Yeah, both of those. And, Marky, you know, on the 2002, we continually see this issue of vote uh, come back for candidates, whether they're running for president or Senate or Congress. Marky, you know, said that he felt like he was lied to by George W. Bush and Don Rumsfeld and and others, uh, but that he regretted that vote and that it was a mistake. Uh, As for the Syria vote... He said that he was, uh, you know, and, and if, we, if we remember at the time, he was a brand new senator. Uh, he wanted more information from the Obama administration, and that's why he voted present. He said that ultimately the administration did. Uh, produce more information uh, to the public about uh, what was going on in Syria and and the need for uh, military intervention there. And uh, that ultimately led to the withdrawal of the resolution authorizing force. And Markey called uh, his push for more uh, information and public disclosure a disinfectant. But that was uh, an argument that Kennedy roundly rejected.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty good spin of the, uh, of the, the present vote. Um, Well, before we uh, head into the weekend, let's uh, just preview what's happening on Sunday. It's uh, the rollout of the new or the implementation of the new safe driving law. Um, So that takes effect on Sunday. And, uh, Chris, we were over at the Newton police headquarters the other day for um, a little demonstration of what that's going to look like. They, uh, it wasn't much of a demonstration. It's a but, generous word. Well, yeah, they, they had a couple of cops on the sidewalk uh, kind of pointing out what they would be looking for. Um, folks uh, looking down toward their laps, right, or, or um, holding a phone improperly when it should be, what, mounted on the dashboard?
4: Yep. That's uh, the way that the new law that takes effect Sunday, again, to emphasize for all of our takeout listeners who may be listening to this on Sunday, Sunday, you need to have a cell phone mounted on your dashboard or windshield if you're going to be using it for GPS. Can't have it on the seat next to you. Can't have it in a cup holder and look down at it for turn by turn directions. And all you'll be able to do is use a single tap, touch or swipe to activate hands free mode to turn on Siri if you have an iPhone and ask Siri to pull up a, a song or or directions for you. So it's going to be a, a pretty significant change from the unenforceable texting ban that we've had for the past 10 years.
0: And what do you do if you've got one of those old GPS navigation systems without the voice commands? I think that also
4: has to be mounted up on the dashboard or windshield. Um, You know, couldn't have that one like a phone on the chair next to you or in the cup holder electronic devices. The goal being that if you have it sort of mounted roughly within your field of vision, you're not really taking your eyes off the road in the same way that you would be if you had to, you know, turn 90 degrees and look downward at the at the passenger seat. Sure.
3: So, Chris, if I'm listening to the takeout in my car driving down the highway and I missed some of your your rules of the road, um, as it were, and want to hit the hit the 15 second back button a couple times to catch back up. Can I do that?
0: Well, would, the, would that count as one tap if you just <laughs> tap the button once?
4: That's one of those gray areas. We spoke to a couple of officers who said that will probably be fine, but <laughs> it is something that you should be careful doing because it's going to be up to the discretion of cops who are out on the roads if you're just doing a single tap or if they look and think that you're really interacting with your phone. That could be you know grounds to get pulled over, so... I would, as a lawyer, as a non-lawyer, <laughs> as a non-lawyer, just to as be clear. a non-lawyer, I would say you can probably rewind your podcast, but just be really careful that it's only a, a single tap,
1: only if it's the takeout.
3: <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll start listening more closely, just to be safe.
0: But officer, it's the statehouse takeout. Um, all right. Well, here are a few other things to keep on your radar as we head into next week. Early voting starts next week ahead of the March third presidential primary. Secretary Galvin told us last week that. The state would stick with paper ballots to instill confidence in voters. Uh, That's after Iowa, right? Uh, Fiscal 2021 budget hearings uh, pick back up next week in Roxbury on Monday, uh, Duxbury on Friday. The Joint Ways and Means Committee is talking economic development, housing, labor, health, and human services. And two bills dealing with state police reform and climate change, each surfacing for public hearings next week up here on Beacon Hill police reform legislation to allow the heads of state police to be hired from outside the agency. And uh, folks, as we, uh, as we wrap up, we, we started this takeout, noting that we've got some Lowell Sun alumni here, and we talked a lot about a certain member from the city of Lowell. Uh, so let's wrap up with a question I've always had. Where's the best takeout in Lowell?
3: Well, what, ooh, there's so much good options. Do you want Greek food? I'm a big fan of Egg Roll Cafe. I use an Egg Roll Cafe pen often up in the newsroom. There's sandwiches. It's
0: They've got that bubble tea, right?
3: A, as the saying goes, there's a lot to like about Lowell. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible.
4: Matt, Chris? <laughs> You count sandwiches as takeout, because yeah, uh, the of Olympia, which is right near the current Sun offices, I don't know if you guys worked in those yeah. offices. Um, uh, one of the best sandwiches you'll find in Massachusetts, I think. What
0: kind of sandwich you get there?
4: I used to get the Italian uh, on a seated knot, but uh, certainly wild, among the largest like. sandwiches. Yes, that's true.
2: Sandwiches? Matthew, yeah, definitely Olympia for Greek food. Uh, roast beef sub from Lena's. That's a go-to. Ooh, that's good to
0: Lena's roast beef. One. Okay. I'll check it out next time I'm up in the Merrimack. Right Valley. by City
3: Hall.
0: Good to know. All right, folks. Hey, thanks. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week.
1: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the State House News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse Headlines, visit Masterlist.com. Masterlist with
2: two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.